Matthew chapter 2 is a microcosm of our age, uh, the age that we have lived in now for 2,000 years, the age of grace. There are four different prophecies in chapter 2, four moving events within the narrative. Uh, there is a prophecy from Micah, there is a prophecy from Hosea, there is a prophecy from Jeremiah, and then fourthly, there's a prophecy uh, from a number of prophets, take your pick, Matthew doesn't pick one, but they all say the same thing about Jesus. Uh, the first prophecy from Micah that we examined last week was that he would be born in Bethlehem. And that he would be born in this town that's obscure and small. And that he as a king would come and be honored, uh, or he, did, he was honored by wise men who gave him honor. The burden of Micah was preaching to the southern kingdom at a time where there were wicked kings, wicked kings. It matches Herod of the day, and these, the wickedness of these kings back in Micah was their connection to foreign countries, that they were being surrounded by Babylon, and yet... Rather than call on the Lord, they connected themselves to Egypt and Syria and, and different countries of the area in order to bolster their forces to battle an incoming Babylon. That is spiritual adultery. That is trusting in anything other than the Lord. It's the same thing we do today when we trust our bank accounts rather than Christ. When we trust the strength of our physical bodies rather than on Christ. We trust the things we have or the people we know rather than Christ. Same thing. Uh, in this prophecy of Micah that Matthew chooses to place in here, there is the honor of the, the wise men, we call them three kings, if you will, and the hatred of King Herod. The second prophecy we will deal with today and I want to firmly place this in your mind because it's important for you to note that these four movements of Christ out of Matthew chapter 2 are fulfillments of specific prophecies drawn out of specific historical context back when they were prophesied, if you will. Okay? So to give your mind some, some thought here, Matthew chapter, this is where we are, we find that the first movement of the four of the microcosm that we live is a choice to either give him homage, which is an old-fashioned word, meaning honor, or hatred. To come as the three wise men, the number of wise men, and worship him, and fall down, and give him our lives. Or the hatred of resisting Christ and of aligning ourselves with, four, with gods that are not God, the big G. Uh, homage or hatred. That's the choice of all humanity today. It's, it's a pick or choose. It's a black or white. It's a one or two. It's not, there's no gray area. Folks either love him 
or in not loving him, hate him. That's the rub of the gospel, is it not? The second that I want you to see is the fact that he's going to flee to Egypt in today's text. This is exile and exodus. Hosea is a fast, and I want to plant this, we're going to look at the Matthew account. Before you get into Matthew, I just want you to know why Matthew prophesies out of Hosea. Very specific reason. What was, who was Hosea? Fascinating character in scripture. He preached at a time when there was serious spiritual adultery and wickedness in Israel. What was this great wickedness of the people? The fact that they were trusting other gods. They were trusting in themselves. Now this is foreign to our culture, foreign to our mindset. We're told from our mother's milk to trust in our own abilities. Believe in yourself. Make your own way. The problem, we, the problem is we were not created for ourselves, but for God. It's like a toaster that plugs itself into itself. There's emptiness. There's no toast. It's why we're miserable. It's why we're empty. It's why we're unhappy. Spiritual adultery of our day is not doing all the wicked things in our mind that we think of walking away from God and the results of that It is the fact that we don't fall down and worship him right off the bat. That we go on in our own way. We are like sheep that choose our own path. Well, in order to teach Hosea this, he he led him down a strange road. If you will remember, he had him marry a prostitute, a harlot. What a strange request of a man of God from God himself. But he married a girl named Gomer. That should have been his first hint not to marry her. (laughs) Gomer joined herself to Hosea, had a child, and then ran off into adultery. You can read the book. Back and forth he went to get her out of the, the pits of sin and brought her home. She had more children with strange names that had very specific meanings. Back and forth, he kept going to get her. Read a fascinating and interesting thick book by Francine, I believe Francine Rivers called Redeeming Love, which is a story about Hosea, a story about a man who married a wicked woman and would not let her go. He kept going to get her. Now, we might go get her once or twice, but I'm telling you, then they keep going back to harlotry to pull them out of the, that situation was redeeming love like we don't know. And after Hosea's heart was broken, as only a man or woman can be broken who faces the infidelity of their mate, God says, now Hosea, you know how I feel about my people Israel. They've committed the harlot. They've committed sin with a harlot with me. You see the heartbreak of God's heart for his people? And Hosea could preach 
when he got done with that situation because he understood God's mind and heart. That's redeeming love. That's us in the exile and him coming to get us. So with that in mind, let's go back into the narrative of Matthew. We'll return to these thoughts. Take a look at verse 7. I just want to mention in passing that when the wise men showed up to Jerusalem and asked, where is he that is born of the Jews? We've seen his star. No one knew what he was talking about. They were talking about. Even if they knew about Bethlehem, as most Jews did, as certainly the religious crowd did, no one pulled the the wise men aside and said, hey, if you're looking for the king of the Jews, Scripture says he's supposed to be born down in Bethlehem. There was silence from Jerusalem. There was silence from the religious crowd. Nobody was talking to the wise men. Why? I ask why. Probably because their skin was a different color. Probably because they came from a different culture and a different society, and mostly because they were not Jews. Religious prejudice is the greatest of all prejudices. To hold back the gospel, to hold back the love of God, to hold back spiritual and scriptural truths because someone doesn't look like you. That's what they were doing down there. Wickedness. Isn't that wicked? Well, the king found out about it. Notice verse 7. When Herod found out from the wise, I'm sorry, from the religious crowd that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained with them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently. Notice not for the baby, but for the child. Obviously the star had shown up a year, year and a half, Less than two years ago, this was not a baby. Star didn't show up last week, and we still got a baby. The star showed up about a year and a half ago, and this was a child now. Notice what Herod says. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. How about the deceitfulness of man? How about the ability to mask it in your face? These were not stupid men, these wise men. These were readers of men, philosophers, smart guys. And yet Herod so deceived them, they never picked up on that. God had to warn them. Be careful what people say to you. It isn't always the best intent. Always good to ask the Lord about things. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. They're headed down about four or five miles. Bethlehem's only a couple miles away. Why didn't Herod go with them? He could have easily got on his royal donkey and followed them down the path. I don't know. He knew what he was going to do. Maybe he didn't want these wise men to be around when he did it and dishonor his most noble name. More concerned about what people said about him and thought about him than what he was going to do to the Christ child. 
that's not an uncommon occurrence in man, is it? More concerned about what people think than the truth. Notice in verse 9, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now what about this star? Could a star in the sky actually follow down five miles and shine all the way from the cosmos down into one small house in a small town? Well, the answer is yes, it could. But there's nothing wrong about thinking of other possibilities. This possibly was the Shekinah glory of God. Makes a more practical explanation. It's not important to the text. But maybe this was a glory in the sky. Why didn't, why didn't Jerusalem see it? A closer question to home, why didn't Bethlehem recognize it? You have a group of wise men in their caravan, and you have a star that appears over a sky, a Shekinah glory star, probably closer to the earth than a regular star, with the ability to flash a spotlight right down on a single home, and nobody in Bethlehem sees it? And nobody in Jerusalem sees it? No. How is God able to shine a light that only a group of men who are actually seeking see it? Well, he did the same with you. And the same with me. You remember when you first got saved, your first thought is, why doesn't everybody see this? Man, why didn't I see this? When God gives spiritual light, it's for you. He doesn't flash it across the sky for everyone. And man, if you get light, hallelujah. You didn't create that light. You didn't send that light. You didn't try to find that light. You sought Christ and he gave you that light. And God in his mercy is shining the light down on this specific house. Notice verse 11. And going into the house, no longer a manger now, they're in a, in a house. Joseph has taken up his trade of carpentry, working a living, and they're staying there. They're not coming back to Nazareth, at least for now. And they fell down, notice, going into the house, they saw the child. Knew immediately it was the Christ. Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold for a king, frankincense, the odor for a priest in the temple, and myrrh to anoint his body to death. A king, a priest, one who came to die for his people. Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own way or to their own country by another way. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. <laughs> you got a lot of dreams going on in Matthew, don't you? Dreams are strange things. I had a real weird dream about my brother last night. It's so weird I cannot tell you how strange it is. I'll just tell you half of it. My brother and I had two cousins. 
We really don't. We've got one, but we had two, and they both looked like my brother. And so they greeted us, and they looked like an older version, two older versions of Lee. Well, I thought that was fine until I looked at one of them was dressed like a woman with high heels. The dream just gets stranger from there. I can't even tell you what happened next. But all these dreams are appearing, and God is directing the man of the house, not the father of the Christ, but Joseph. In a dream, he's warned. Notice, rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Joseph is about to search for the child to destroy him. Wow. Here's Herod. A wicked king. He's 68 years old at this point. I told you about Herod last week, killing most of his adult children, killing his wife. A madman. 68 years old. He will die when he's 70. He's threatened by a child at that age? Really? I was riding my bike in the neighborhood the other day, and Karen came up behind me. She was coming from the store. She rode up behind me, which if she ever had a chance to claim she didn't see me and run me over, she had, but she didn't. And as she's driving behind me, she slowed down till we got into the house. Well, I came up to her and I said, so you saw me riding the bike? I said, what, you know, what, what impression did you get when you saw me riding? I said, did you see a man who was serious about a bike and riding? She said, no. And she said, I saw an old man on a bike is what I did. <laughs> I envision myself as a 20-year-old Lance Armstrong. She saw an old man riding a bike down the road. We see ourselves as something other than we are. Herod saw himself as never dying, always on the throne. This baby's a threat. Two years later, he's dead. This is the insanity and deceitfulness of sin that causes us not to look at ourselves as we are. Now, all that I've preached so far is to get us to this one place. Are you ready? And he arose and took the child by night and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, an ongoing statement of Matthew bringing us back to the Old Testament, which said, out of Hosea, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now for the next few minutes, I want us to camp our minds on Hosea's prophecy, and I want you to go back there and see this very verse and how Matthew chooses not to, not to quote it all. Hosea chapter, thank you, chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. And we'll find in a few minutes, verse 1. This prophecy of Hosea was given to the nation of Israel. The son mentioned in the first verse was Israel, not us. But Matthew lifts this from Scripture and applies it to us. 
Now, what is Egypt? Egypt in the Bible is a picture of sin and slavery and oppression. It is the people of God not where they should be. Not where they should be. It is a people sold into slavery. And Moses comes down and takes them out. The exodus out of the exile. He presents to them the law. They get in the land. And you know how they did from that point on. It went downhill. The prophets came and preached. God implored them to come back to him. They would for a time and they go right back into sin. You have a situation of wickedness within the land itself because the law could not redeem them. The law could not transform them. The law brought them back but didn't really bring them back. The whole time in Israel, their hearts were back in Egypt, adopting the sins of the world. Notice Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Hosea's preaching to his generation in the land of Israel was a message that you are in sin, the judgment of God is coming, but his love would not let them go. The love of God would not let them go. If there ever was a people to abandon, it was Israel. If there ever, from God's perspective, if there ever was a child who wasn't doing right, and lived in sin, it was Israel, but over and over again, patiently, bringing them back to himself. And as soon as they got there, off they went again. Brought them back, off they went again. All through the Old Testament. And here Jesus is identifying with his people, identifying with us in going down into Egypt as a child living in Egypt for two years Jesus was four or five years old when they came back because that's when Herod died but when Jesus came back from an exile he never went back to Egypt Egypt in Christ was finished Notice Matthew doesn't quote the first part of that. He doesn't quote, when Israel was a child, I loved him. He simply puts in the last part, out of Egypt I called my son. He's no longer talking about Israel, and he's no longer talking about us. He's only talking about his son at this point. Because anytime you put Israel in the equation, it gets all messed up. And anytime you put us in the equation of Christianity, it gets all messed up. Christianity is all about the sun coming out of Egypt, not us. 
You'll see how that plays in for a minute. By the way, if you question, wait, not that you question, but look at verse 2. Look at Hosea's response through his preaching. Out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. (laughs) Sacrificing to Baal and sacrificing to idols. You have folks that come to church, make a commitment religiously. Within six months, they're back out in the world. Maybe less time than that. Well, when a person truly gives their heart to Christ, there's no return. They're done. They're out of Egypt forever. Egypt holds no sway to them anymore. No sway. A couple thoughts. He has always loved you. Do you know that? Before you were saved, he loved you. Before you ever came to Christ, he set his love upon you and would not let you go. Think of the years, perhaps, that you rebelled. Think about all the bad decisions we made, I made. Think about all the turning away from God when he had a right to us through creation when he had a right to us because he died on a cross to save us. Think about all those months and years. He loved you like he loves you now. Same love. He has always loved you, and he never gave up on us. Never. He never let us go. Like Hosea, who kept going down into the pigsty, the prostitute's area, taking her from lover after lover, pulling her out of the bed. Bring her home. This is what God has done for us. He has always loved us. Always. Never was a time that he didn't love you with an intensity that he loves you right now. How patient God is. How loving God is. That love would not let me go. You have people in your life you've let go. Do you have people you've given up on? Let the love of God go after them. Not your love. You'll never have enough love to love those who have hurt you. But God's love does. Given up on yourself? Never. Well, maybe. Yeah, give up on yourself. Trust God to do a work in you that only He can do. You know how not to get discouraged with others? See what God, think about what God can do in their lives and how much he loved you. Oh, we're not as bad as them. Really? Oh, I think we are. I think we are. We all have the heart of a rebel, do we not? Every one of us. Number two, after so long a time, How long was it? Well, it's different for all of us. How long was it for Israel? Thousands of years. They came out of Egypt, got the law, got in the land. A long time. Hosea preached. Jeremiah preached. Isaiah preached. They had lots of truth in the land. They had a lot of calling back to God all through the judges you read the whole Old Testament it's all about God sending his love sending his man sending his prophet sending the judges sending everyone to get them back 
He got done with Malachi. Malachi was the last preacher to try to call him back. And then after Malachi, there's 400 years of silence. God doesn't say anything to Israel for 400 years. If there's ever a time to think God's given up, that's about it. We're done. We're done. I'm out of here. 400 years. And after so long a time, Christ appears, redeeming us. How long has it been for you? After so long a time, return. Lastly, in Christ, when we return, we never live in Egypt again because we're now living in Christ. It isn't that we left Exodus. We entered Christ and his Exodus back to God. You see? Jesus never went back down to Egypt again. You never go back down to Egypt again. Once you are truly in Christ, you never, never return. Never. Hey, I, I have very little from my grandmother on my father's side, um, Grandma Gaylor. Mostly what I remember of her were huge earlobes. As a small boy, she had wore large earrings which hung very low on massive earlobes. As fascinating as a little kid. That's about all I know from my grandmother Gaylor. But I do have a painting that I, that I very much treasure. And uh, she was a pretty good artist. I look into it and I see stuff. And it's just, I love this painting. When I look into it, I think about my grandma. It's what I have to, to connect me with her. But I saw something fascinating in the painting that I had never seen before as I was staring into it the other day. I looked to where she had signed at the bottom. Uh, her name was Adeline, Addie. Uh, if that sounds familiar, it is familiar, Adeline. Uh, we don't know what the M stands for. I'd like to think Marie, Marie. I think that'd be pretty, but we, no one knows. Her last name, of course, was Gaylor, but when she originally signed this, she didn't write Gaylor. She began her last name with a different letter. Her maiden name was Frauts, F-R-A-A-T-S, Frauts. She began writing an F. You can see it faintly under the G, but it's there. She began to write her maiden name and realized it wasn't her true name, and instead picked up the paintbrush again and put a G, where at first she written in F. When we got saved, God changed our name. He really did. When you get to heaven, you'll have a new name. That's the name that I identify under. I am no longer the old Mike of who I was. I am the new Mike. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes we begin to sign our identity and our name under our old identity. And we get one letter and we go, no, I am now in Christ. I no longer am in Egypt. I am out of Egypt because the son went into exile for us and left exile and exodus back to God.